Well, we have been studying the names of God this Christmas season, this first Advent celebration. And uh, we have talked about Jesus, who is the light of the world. Last Sunday, we talked about Jesus, who is I am. How those names help reveal the heart and nature of God himself to us. And, and uh, today we want to move forward with uh, another name of God that uh, we hear often around uh, Christmas. And uh, if you want to follow along in your Bible, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. And this is the angel speaking here. And he is quoting Isaiah. Uh, so the angel is lifting out of scripture. Now this is an important thing that happens in, in scripture. It verifies the accuracy and the validity of the Old Testament. Where sometimes Jesus himself will quote scripture in the New Testament from the Old Testament. And it verifies the fact that the scriptures of the Old Testament are still valid for today. So the angel speaking here... And, in Matthew chapter 1, is speaking from Isaiah, who spoke these prophetic words uh, about 600 years before uh, the New Testament. Here, it verifies what Isaiah prophesied so many years before this moment. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. That came out of Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, if you like to compare and cross-reference your Bible. Um, that's a really important verification of the accuracy and truth of the Old Testament. A lot of people have the kind of mindset that the Old Testament is not important. Uh, because we are New Testament believers. And uh, nothing could be further from the truth. The Old Testament actually is the foundation of the New Testament. And instances like this uh, verify what was spoken hundreds of years before it actually came to place. Uh, one, another notable moment in the New Testament <clears throat> that verifies the Old Testament is on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And when the Holy Spirit came and baptized the 120 believers in the upper room and uh, tongues of fire, rushing mighty wind, and they all spoke in tongues on that uh, first Sunday of the birth of the church. And the crowd outside of the upper room said, what does this mean? As they heard them speaking in, in uh, languages that they understood and they were from all over the world. And Peter stood up and verified and said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And uh, there he began to quote from the second chapter of Joel and pinpointed the accuracy of this, pinpointed this from what Joel spoke hundreds of years before to that very moment on the first day of Pentecost and the birth of the church. And so here we have one of those moments that verifies the name of God being Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. He is God with us. I don't know that there's ever a more personal application of his name to us than Emmanuel, God with us. 
He came to earth to be with us, and that is not spoken lightly. He came to be with us. You think about this. Jesus, who is God himself, didn't come into being when he was born in Bethlehem. He has always existed. Okay? When Jesus identified himself, we covered this last Sunday if you were here. When Jesus identified himself as I am, that identified him as the eternal God. So when he became a Bethlehem, it wasn't just at that moment that he became Jesus. He has always been Jesus. He has always existed. In the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And so when we think of Jesus existing eternally in heaven, as much as we long for descriptions of heaven, and we get little glimpses here and there, uh, heaven and, and all, but we, we don't really comprehend or understand the, the enormity of heaven and how big and how wonderful and things that are not even mentioned in scripture will be ours and, and that we will experience for eternity uh, when we go to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus. And, uh, but that is all that Jesus ever knew. And you think about that, um, you know, what would it be like to live an existence where you were never frustrated or angry or rejected? How many would go for an existence like that? Right. And uh, you're very fortunate that I am not Jesus because I would not want to leave that in order to be with you. I love you all and all, but I'd let somebody else do that. You think about that. Jesus never knew what sweat was. Jesus never knew what a chill in the night was. Jesus never knew what pain was. Jesus didn't know what something chaotic and messy was about because he lived in eternity in the presence of the Godhead and there was none of that. So you have to ask the question, why did Jesus come? Why did he come to be Emmanuel, God with us? Couldn't he have been some other name and been God, you know, far away, but I've got my eye on you? Why did Jesus come to earth to be with us? Well, there's just one answer for that. And it's the entire gospel condensed into one verse of scripture. It's from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation, condensed in one verse of scripture. You probably know it. You probably have memorized it at some point in your life. And it's John 3, 16. Would you quote it out loud with me? What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's why. That's why Jesus left his heavenly throne. You know, the, the Christmas hymns wonder at this. Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth that day. Why? <laughs> Why? Because he loved you. He loved me. He loved the world so much that Jesus came. He loved us enough to be near us. He did not love us from far away. His love is not a theological theory. His love is hands-on and it's 
personal. It still is. It still is in 2023. You know, there are people in our lives who are near us, but are not what we'd say with us. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. There are people in our lives who are near us, but they're not with us. On the other hand, uh, there are people who should be with us, but aren't with us. There are people who are with us in the sunny days, at least it seems like they are, but they're not with us in the rainy day. Jesus came to be with us at all times. And how do we know that? How do we know that? How do we understand that? What does the scripture tell us? Well, I think the the circumstance of Jesus' birth tells us so much of the depth of his love for us. Jesus, on the night in which he was born, we know a few details. He was born at night in a stable, so, so he was homeless the day he was born. He had no home. He was born in a stable. Now, I don't know what kind of pleasant and positive adjectives you can think of to describe a stable. Maybe we should talk about the aroma, or maybe not. (laughs) What else about the stable? Oh, that it's a very sanitary, clean place to be, or not. (laughs) What else can we describe about a stable in positive terms? Well, there's not many. It did offer some shelter from the night, But there was probably no central heating, right? There were no light switches to flip, you know, in the middle of the night when the baby's crying. It was dark, it was cold, it was messy, it was dirty, and it was dark. You can't imagine a rougher transition from the throne room of heaven to a stable. But that tells us a lot. It tells us so much about the nature of God. You think about things in scripture like metaphors. The stable is an incredible metaphor for our heart. Before Jesus comes into our heart, before he comes into our life, what are our hearts? They're, they're a mess. <laughs> they're a mess. We got drama going on. We got, you know, sin. We got addiction. We got things that are dirty and, and smelly. And, and yet Jesus is not afraid to be there. He's not afraid to be in your heart. No matter what your drama is, no matter what your failures are, no matter what mess is going on in your life, Jesus is not afraid to be hands-on in your life. You know, I I admire first responders. You know, they they go where the trouble is. You know, when the call comes, it's never, you know, just... uh, to drink tea and, and have a fun conversation. It's, it's drama. <laughs> it's an emergency. And, uh, and they are there in the messiest of times and moments. That's a, that's a lot of the picture of God, is that he is there in those times of our lives. And our hearts, like the stable or dirty, messy, and just a metaphor for what Jesus was born into. That he was God with us tells us that he comes into our messy lives and it doesn't repel him. And, and he's not afraid to
to touch us. Now, one of the things that uh, we're kind of a handicapped generation in understanding some things, number one, because so far removed from the time and culture of when these things happened in the Bible, and the first advent, the uh, first uh, Christmas or birth of Jesus uh, was, you know, a little over 2,000 years ago now. And, and so there's some things that we don't really understand about that time and culture uh, unless we do a little study and we press in a little deeper than just reading the narrative. And uh, one, of that, one of those things was the role of, or the, the status of lepers in society. Now, lepers had an incurable disease. And it was common in those biblical days and where a person's flesh and bone would literally rot off of the body. And in the latter stages of the disease, you were very disfigured. You know, all the protuberances of the body, the, the fingers, the nose, the toes, you know, would rot and literally fall off. And, and uh, nobody wanted that disease to be pronounced a leper was a death sentence. And, and uh, people were so afraid of it that, that lepers were relegated to the outskirts of society. They could not come into contact with other parts of the community, uh, lest their dreaded disease be spread. And so they were not even uh, to come near. And, uh, and when they spoke, they were to cover their, their mouth. And uh, if they had anything to say, they would cover their mouth and, and uh, communicate in, in that sense. But, but they were relegated to be outcasts all their lives. And the only company they might have is other lepers, we see a picture of that uh, once when Jesus was in the countryside. It says that ten lepers came to him and asked for their healing, and, which Jesus gave, and, and uh, they uh, ran off except for one who came back to give thanks. But here in, in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, is an incredible picture of the moment. And, and again, it's kind of lost on us because we don't understand the significance of this. Some of the details, some of the culture, some of the background here. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, it says, And when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes follow him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So here's a statement of faith from a leper who's maybe observed Jesus, maybe he has just heard about Jesus. You know how news of bread travels among beggars. <laughs> news of healing travels among lepers. And here this leper had either seen or heard that Jesus can heal lepers. And you have to understand, there's no treatment at this time for leprosy. There's, there's no treatment for it. As I said, it, it's a death sentence. And there's no one who will even nurse your wounds because you are unclean. You are not to be touched. And so here's the statement of the leper. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And, and verse 3 should be underlined in your Bible if it's not already. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him. That's 
the thing that we don't understand the significance of. You don't touch a leper. (laughs) You don't touch lepers. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. This is the picture of God with us. Just like Jesus is willing to come and transition from heaven to a stable, he was willing to come and be with us, to touch us, to get involved in our messy lives. He was Emmanuel to the woman taken in adultery. You remember that story? It's found in the Gospel of John. It's an incredible story, one of my favorite stories of Scripture. Where Jesus was in the marketplace and and the Pharisees um, bring a woman and put her in the middle of their circle they formed with, around Jesus and said, this woman was taken in adultery, caught in the very act. The law says that she should be stoned. But Jesus, what do you say? They're trying to trap him. You know, I... I uh, I have to ask the question. Okay, so she was taken in the very act of adultery. And where's the other half of this problem? Where's, where's, last I knew it took two to do that, so um, where, where's, where's the guy? You know what my suspicion is? It's one of them standing in that circle. <laughs> Just a thought. <laughs> But here, Jesus sees through their plan and, and Jesus says, you're right, Moses says that someone taken in the act of adultery should be stoned. So, whoever's without sin, you pick up the first stone and throw it. Can you imagine this, the condemnation of the Holy Spirit? They set this woman up. Maybe one of them participated in the very act they could accuse her of. And one by one, it says from the oldest to the youngest, they turn around and left. And Jesus asks, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none, Lord. And, she's, and he says these incredible words. Neither do I condemn thee, but go and sin no more. Wow, what mercy, what grace. That's what God with us looks like. That's the way he works in our lives. He was Emmanuel to the widow. He was Emmanuel to the outsider. He was Emmanuel to the outcast. It's another cultural nuance we miss. The outcast, if you remember Zacchaeus, if you were in Sunday school, you might have learned that song about Zacchaeus. What, right? Zacchaeus was, come on now. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree, the Savior fort. Yeah, we know the story. Now why? Why, why, why? Nobody wanted to be with Zacchaeus. He was an enabler. He was a turncoat. He was a traitor to his Jewish nation by participating in the occupiers of the Roman government to take 
taxes away from his own people. That's pretty low life. And nobody wanted to be with him. Except Jesus. And as the Savior came that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. For I'm going for to your house today, right? He went and transformed the house. That's what Emmanuel looks like. That's what God with us looks like. That's how it behaves towards us. All of these people were avoided by their peers. All of these people were treated like they were radioactive by those around them. And Jesus reached out to them when no one else would. Jesus restored dignity to them when others would not. And Jesus stood by them when they stood alone. Isn't that powerful? (laughs) That's what Emmanuel looks like. And Jesus will do the same for you and I. Jesus will not leave us in difficult times. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6 is repeated in Hebrews uh, chapter 13. It says, be strong and of good courage and do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes, what's the word there? With you. And he will not leave you nor forsake you. Powerful promise to us. You know, Jesus knows what it is like to be abandoned by people you think you could count on when things get difficult. The very night Jesus was betrayed, he was betrayed by one of his own disciples and arrested in the dark and all of his other disciples fled from him. Look at Mark chapter 14, verse 50. Just a short little verse, little detail. It says, then they all forsook him and fled. In his greatest moment of need, being unjustly arrested, taken in the, in the dark of night, those who could have, should have defended him, fled to save their own skids. So Jesus understands our feelings because he's experienced what we have experienced. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. I have to read that carefully because it's a double negative. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So how do we state that in positive? We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. And was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus experienced everything that you and I experienced. Same temptations, the same pain, the same rejection. Remember that his love is hands-on and personal. He's willing and able to get involved with our lives in a personal way. Jesus knows how to navigate life when others you thought you could depend on let you down. He doesn't treat you like you're radioactive when you are going through difficult times. So, my thought was Jesus will not leave in difficult times. Jesus, my second thought here is Jesus will not abandon you when you fail, when you fail. When you make a mess of your own life. 
Many years ago, and maybe a lot of people in this room may not be familiar with the name Ted Turner. Just seeing who was born before 1960, how many know Ted Turner, who Ted Turner is? How many of you have no idea who Ted Turner is? Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, Ted Turner. How many know CNN News, cable network news, right? Okay. Ted Turner founded CNN. And uh, many other things, if you uh, have cable television and you have channel TBS, Ted Turner, or, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, you know better than I do. All right. um, Ted Turner uh, founded a lot of things that uh, we take for granted today or maybe don't even know. But anyways, he was, he was the happening man in the 90s. And uh, he owned the Atlanta Braves at the height of his popularity when the Atlanta Braves were all that. And uh, he is fabulously wealthy, a self-made billionaire. He is the second largest private landowner in the United States, okay? I think only Bill Gates owns more private land than Ted Turner. And, uh, you know, we're all subject to this, so I'm not just castigating Ted Turner here today, but when we have a long series of successes in our lives, we tend towards a little bit of hubris in our lives. We say things we normally wouldn't say because we feel confident or because we feel like maybe we're superior in some way. And, and so Ted Turner, at one of the many ceremonies honoring his achievements, I think it was at, at the Smithsonian uh, Institution that they were honoring Ted Turner and his great accomplishments. Well, he announced in, in that moment that in his estimation, Christianity is a religion for losers. I was offended. Christianity originally, you, Christianity is for losers, you're a loser. You know, we, how dare you say something like that. But I was, I was trying to think of all these smarty pants responses that, I, you know, I was toward to refute this until the more I thought about it, the more I agreed with him. Christianity for losers? Maybe so. Kind of has a ring to it, doesn't it? <laughs> this is a verse that, again, Jesus verifies in the New Testament that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Jesus comes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he picks up the scroll and he finds the place that we look up that says Isaiah 61.1. And he's speaking this word about himself. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the tidings to the billionaires, to the largest landowners, and to the popular... 
Well, what does it say? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound. What, what this group that Jesus has just identified that the Lord God has anointed me to preach good tidings to this group. Maybe we could just loosely call this group a group of losers. And who among us are not one of them at some point in our life? What's good news to the poor? That you don't have to be poor anymore. <laughs> Would that be good news to the poor? You don't have to be poor anymore. What about the brokenhearted? What's good news to the brokenhearted? You can be healed. Liberty to the captives. You don't have to be a captive anymore. Those who are bound, bound by sin, bound by addiction, bound, you don't have to be bound anymore. That's good news. So when we think about it, Jesus was not sent to the successful, to the rich, to the independent and popular. He wasn't sent to the influencers. Isn't that a thing anymore? Influencers. I don't understand that. <laughs> no, Jesus was sent to be Emmanuel to what the world would call losers, the cast-offs, the failures, the unpopular, the outsiders, the poor. And aren't you glad? Because that's where Jesus found us. He was Emmanuel, God with us. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus came for Ted Turner, too. Ted Turner doesn't know it, but he's a loser, too. <laughs> Actually... I, uh, well, Jesus said, Mark chapter 2, I don't want to miss this, because this, this is the key to Jesus' focus and understanding here. Uh, his disciples were questioning, uh, maybe among themselves, and uh, they were saying, you know, why does Jesus hang out with losers? Why does he hang out with prostitutes? That's kind of awkward, don't you think? Uh, why does he hang out with, you know, publicans, you know, tax collectors and sinners? Here's Jesus' response, Mark chapter 2, verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. He's still here to call you and I to repentance. Yeah, ironically, and you can find this in the Wikipedia bi biography of Ted Turner. I, it's out there, so I'm not telling you anything you can't find yourself here. Ted Turner is obviously faded from view. He struggles with mental illness. Probably a factor in the fact he's been divorced three times. A billionaire can't keep the basic relationship together. 
He's estranged from his five children. But Jesus came for Ted Turner too. No matter what success you have, we're all losers somewhere in our lives. And Jesus has come for us. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us. Whatever your failure, whatever your social status or not, Jesus is there with you. He's with you in your joys. He's with you in your successes. He is there on your best days. He is also with you on your saddest days. He is with you in your pain. He is with you in your sorrow. He is with you in your failures. There is nothing that would make Jesus abandon you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Emmanuel, God with us, means you are not too dirty for Jesus to touch. You're not too diseased, not too messy. You're not too broken for Jesus to fix. You are not too far for Jesus to reach. You are not too guilty for Jesus to forgive. And you are not too worthless for Jesus to love. God with us. Emmanuel.